0: G'day, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining me again on our ongoing journey looking at this thing called leadership. And by way of introduction, today's guest brings 20 years of working with some of Australia's leading organisations as a founder and director of two businesses, is focused in the change and adaptability space. My guest works with organizations to ensure their people have the tools and techniques to improve performance and well-being through their ability to adapt to one ambiguity. And guest wears multiple hats. She is the founder and director of Change 2020 and is the founder and director of Adapt IQ Minds. Can I welcome to the podcast, Karen Fuster. How are you, Karen?
1: I'm fabulous. Thank you. How are you today?
0: I'm fantastic. Thank you for joining me. So off air, we, we talked about what we were going to look at today. And I want to start by asking you why work in this space? What drew you to working with this thing called Ambiguity and its links to leadership?
1: Absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation with you today. The link to leadership is that leaders are being asked to find a way to navigate through this world, which is pretty messy and chaotic, and it's very unfamiliar and and quite unknown because we're in a completely different space. And this is not just relating to the last 18 months of COVID-19. This has been happening for four to five years. So what drew us to the research area, which we've been involved in a research project with QUT Business School for four or five years now, what was happening is that we understood that change was increasing in terms of pace and complexity. So the tools and techniques that we were using as change managers or to support an organisation through change just weren't sticking and we weren't kicking goals. What we needed to do is have a better understanding is what were the complexities that were so challenging for people? And what it is, it's around this concept of ambiguity and the ambiguity definition is around, well, it's unfamiliar to me. I don't have previous learnings to lean on. It, It feels kind of foggy. Each way I go, I don't quite know if I've got enough information. I've got an abundance of data and I don't know how to sift through that to make the decision. So what I once knew to be true is now quite unfamiliar to me. So we wanted to get a better understanding and we went to QUT and basically said, can you help us understand... Why is it some people can have a higher tolerance of ambiguity in the workplace, whereas others seem to get really quite stuck and they don't know how to move forward? And so we posed that question and they did a brilliant job. They did, uh, it was a global research project. And it's still um, uh, we still are in this research partnership with them. And they went about trying to solve this, uh, well, find an answer for us. And so as a result of that, we were able to form that second company, which you pronounce as Adapt IQ Minds, which most people do. It's actually Adapt. Um And it's a, with the IQ on the end. And the reason we did that is for, you know, a play of words around adaptability. But essentially, we were able to develop an assessment tool that's been globally validated. And, and it's a reliable tool in terms of well, what is my tolerance of ambiguity in the workplace? And it's specific to the workplace. So that, that's the important um, consideration here. And, and 99% of us love to find out a bit more about ourselves. So we, we wanted to make sure that people had a, a data point to know where do I currently sit? And more to the point, if I'm at you know the, this position on the on the continuum, how do I get further up that continuum?
0: The the tool and you entering into that relationship with uh, QUT Business School. You said it was about five years ago, so it was well before we had the impacts of COVID nineteen. Do you think? that the current situation may skew the data you've collected or if you're still collecting data with this tool that now because of the, the circumstances that we find ourselves from a business perspective, will be putting more pressure around this thing called ambiguity and, and change for people. Do you think that will be heightened in the, the data that you're collecting?
1: Absolutely. And in fact, what we've done is we've asked our research team to compartmentalise some data from more recent periods of time so that we can do a comparison of Pre um, and and where we currently find ourselves, we asked them to do that probably 12 months ago. Because of course, well, or certainly in my mind, I didn't think that we would be here 12 months later. And here, of course, in Australia, uh, if anything, we're we're almost in one of the most challenging positions we've been in with way too many of our um, of our people in in lockdown at this particular time. So we asked them 12 months ago to say, well, what does this look like in comparison to the last couple of years of data? So we have compartmentalised, and yes, it was certainly... Heightened in terms of people's sense of just feeling like I, I just don't know what to do here. Leaders have never had to lead, ultimate, you know, almost exclusively via a screen. They found that to be so challenging because how do I connect with people? You know, what was really interesting, Eric, is that so many leaders who in the past had said yes, I'm I trust my people. I've got a high a high capacity to understand that people are just getting things done. That was really challenged. If I can't see you do I know you're doing your work If you don't choose to put your camera on, why is that? You know, I've tried to find you on Teams and you're not, you you didn't answer the call. Why is that? You're in a workplace, you know, you might be on four, five, six different levels, or you might be, you know, your leader might be based in Sydney and you might be based in Townsville. So you can't automatically see each other, but it created a new way for people to lead and to connect. And it really was, I, I think it was quite confronting for many, many leaders, particularly those who decided to be genuinely reflective and go. Maybe this word trust is not quite as solid as I would have thought.
0: It's a hand grenade. We could, uh, <laughs> we, could we can't <laughs> yeah. avoid that one. I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, and it goes back to um, not necessarily about the circumstances in which we all find ourselves is is something more of interest to me around the leader that uh, he or she may think they've got all the tools and have an understanding of what it is to lead. But when you talk about that thing called trust and that if I can't physically see you or be in the same vicinity, are you still capable of delivering the work that I need delivered? And then your comfort zone may have looked like X, but now it's going to look like A, B, C, D, and E, and you're going to have to get used to that. And I bring a slightly different lens to some of these conversations in that I've worked from a home office on my own for the last seven years, and I've got used to being a remote worker because my the industry that I work in, in in the commercial fishery space, my members are spaced out throughout Queensland and into the Gulf of Carpentaria. So there's no way physically I could see my members on a regular basis. So this is just normal business practice for me. But I have encountered people that uh, this is not normal business practice and I've seen the whole, or would you call it, the that whole pathway from adapted very well and uh, I look forward to what the challenges mean to not so happy with what's going on because of the uh, structural nature of their businesses that they're not sure how this is going to fit into the future. And this kind of leads me to the next question and again this, I'm trying to link your work and w- w- what you've discovered around ambiguity and the leader is at the core of it is ambiguity and uh an inability to engage with change. Is that does that come from a, a place of fear in individuals that they don't know what they don't know and that creates a degree of fear in them?
1: Without doubt, and that is the case for all of us. Our we're built that way. Our brains crave certainty. When we don't have certainty, uh, and we have a sense of being out of control, that heightens our anxiety. And you know, and and obviously that's it has a direct impact on mental health and mental well-being. It's scary for us. You know, we don't know what's going on. And even if we take our mind away from COVID-19 prior to when we we kicked off the research. We We did that because change was not what change used to be. It was, uh, as I said, increased pace and complexity. There was digitisation, globalisation was obviously right here. There were mergers and acquisitions left, right and centre. We had here in Australia those significant royal commissions into banking and finance, into disability, into aged care. What that was doing, that was driving absolute, it was momentous change is what it was driving. And all at the same time, essentially. So, so there were so many factors coming in. Then we've also got the fact that Industry 4.0 was recreating jobs. It was ending other jobs. That was creating fear for people around. But this is all I know. I've always done it this way. The fact of the matter is we're an incredible, incredibly adaptable species, much more so than we give ourselves any credit for. But we're also creatures of habit. We like things to be the way we know them to be where we feel safe and secure, and so the challenge for many of us is to be able to work out. Let me just focus on controlling what I can control. We pay so much attention to everything else that's going on, and that creates that angst and, and increases the fear. We don't operate well in fear. Fear is not a place where we can, you know, really kick in with our uh, logical thinking. Instead, we're driven by emotions and those emotions at times can really, that, that don't serve us very well. That's when we might fly up the handle, say something that we think, oh God, I wish I could grab that one back or, uh, you know, we're irrational. So what we really want to be able to do is find some ways to simmer down that fear. Think about well, what what can I control right here, right now? And how do I find my way to move forward? I think that one of the biggest challenges, and, and this is where people try to get themselves in, in a more happy place, which is, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until things you know go back to normal. For me, it, even the comment around normality is something that's problematic because what, what is going to be normal? And I know there's the concept around new normal or the next normal. For me, it's about let's just be present with what we've got. Here we are again in this situation. We don't know what next month's going to be about. So what we need to be able to do is find a way to say, here is the circumstance, how do I move forward? Because waiting is not an option. Waiting means that I'm going to stand still, so I either get run over or ran past and both of them are not, not so good, particularly as a leader. And also as a leader, I don't want my leader to just stand still because I, I need to know, well, what's connecting me? Where am I going? How am I getting to that next position? Or where's our organisation moving forward? I don't want it to just stand still. That's not what people are built for.
0: What does an adaptive new workplace or organization look like as a result of what we're going through? What is fit for purpose in terms of organizations in the current situation that we find ourselves in? And what does leadership going forward look like in a world where ambiguity is the the mantra of the day and not just saying it out loud because it's a reality for everybody? And what I'm seeing And again, this is just my perspective and and, uh, it's open to challenge, obviously, that this situation we find ourselves in is permeating the business and private parts of people's lives. You you don't leave work and suddenly COVID doesn't exist anymore. It exists as a health issue. It exists as a uh, movement, as in where can you actually physically go? And then it impacts on your work because simultaneously it's impacting your colleagues and those that are leading your organization so what what does a fit fit for purpose business and leadership look look like in this uh, new world that we find ourselves in
1: that's like the 64 million dollar question I think at the moment and, and there's I guess there's a couple of ways I, I would um, compartmentalise that question. What does the workplace look like? So there, there is actually the, the physical workplace. Us humans, we need to connect. You said that, you know, you've worked remotely for seven years and that fits with you and you, you might excel and really enjoy that and you're highly comfortable there. And some people are. Not everyone will be. We need to find a, a way that we can absolutely be flexible about that. So the, the hybrid workplace, I think, is a given moving forward, meaning that you might might go into an office environment you know for two or three days a week and, and have a combination of remote working or working for that period of time. The office place itself is, you know, needs to be obviously quite flexible in terms of, you know, starting times, staggered starting times for people. Just appreciating the fact that we're going to work a little bit differently. Absolutely, tech, thank God for tech. Without this, I don't know how we would really have survived the last 18 months. So continual advancements in that and utilising the way that you and I are currently meeting, Eric, as a way of engaging and communicating that we don't need to be, it might be really nice chatting over a coffee together somewhere in a cafe but we can do both and we can do all. We can meet in an office, we can meet virtually, we can meet in our communities as well. So the way and the physical way we're working, and I'm saying it all the time, which is the fact that we, we need to be able to look at the way that people used to come into work five days a week. I don't think, and I've been saying this for a while, I don't think we'll ever go back to that. I know some leaders would dearly love to. I don't think that's what people are looking for. Some will, but, but not everyone. But when we look at what we need for leaders. Fundamentally, I believe great leaders are those who are able to connect with people despite what the barriers are, and they're very human. They're the ones who are saying, "This this is hard." You know, oh, I don't really know how to do this either. So they've got that level of humility, obviously. The ones who are really self-aware as well. And what what's been interesting in this latest outbreak, particularly along the east coast here, is that so many of our children have been affected by COVID. As a parent, when your child is ill with such an unknown and frightening illness, your behaviour is totally different. So the tolerance level of leaders to recognize that we were already worried about our aged community we're already worried about our peers and you know we're locked down that doesn't fit with us as a human add to that I'm absolutely terrified because my child's ill and so leaders who can understand that and tolerate that and lean into that lean down to people with that lean on people because they might be the parent that's frightened all of those type of things so it's about absolute ability to be connected and also We want our leaders to be confident. You know, no egos, no room for an ego. We we want them to be confident and say, we're going to give this a go. We we may not get it right, but we're going to forge forward in this this direction. We need something to cling to. We want to actually feel that we're committing to a purpose. So a leader that is still able to rise up and go, wow, there's a whole lot of things here that uh, are unfamiliar and we don't necessarily know about, but let's back ourselves and go this way. That confidence is incredibly, it's valuable It's attractive. It's something that helps people again to say, all right, I'm contributing. As humans, again, we want to belong. We want to contribute. We want to know that if I'm sitting here in an office, in a suburb, particularly those who live by themselves, that what I'm doing today is contributing to something that is important to my organisation, to my leader, ideally to the community. And so without us having that direct connection, is that leaves us, you know, left wanting a bit. Uh, I was actually, um, I have a fabulous leader and I, uh, client, sorry, and our meetings is, a, we always have a walking meeting. And uh, so we're out having a walk. And uh, he was talking about the fact that he's unable to roll out the strategy at this stage because he's got team from Tassie to the uh, top of um, Queensland. And he said, I just want to wait, wait till we're all together. And I said, but that could be so far away. Why don't you do what you do so well, which is tell your story. And so storytelling is so important. Just uh, tell the story about where we think we're going to go. Let's just get to Christmas. We don't need to be talking about the three-year strategy at the moment, because if you've got that crystal ball, then you know, you're, <laughs> you're a little unique at the moment. You're the unicorn. We don't know what that looks like. So tell your story to Christmas, each person will be able to say, regardless of whether sitting in an office, in a cafe, isolated, in lockdown, wherever they are, this is how I today am making a difference. This is how I am contributing to that story of how we're going to get there at Christmas time.
0: I don't think we can assume that everyone has uh, has come to a an equilibrium point with dealing with ambiguity in the workplace. I could be wrong. You, for, those, for those listening, uh, 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 Karen is, is, is smiling. So do you, do you believe that we're not quite there yet, that this is something we need to be working on as a matter of, of normal business practice?
1: Most definitely. We're, we're definitely not there yet. The initial research data and the benchmark group, less than 10% of the benchmark group when we were developing the assessment, have got a clear or very clear tolerance for ambiguity in the workplace, and that's that's way way too low. Now my my suspicion, my hope is that we've snuck up, and you will we'll do another retest of a of a benchmark group um, to to as we're adding more data to that. But the reason being is that you know it's interesting how we promote people based on their capability and their competence and their style, and then we get to a position of leadership and. It's about thinking, well, everything I everything I learned is how I got to this level. But it's kind of a bit bit tricky, you know, when you get to that level because no longer, particularly if you're an executive, and depending on the size of your organization like that, exec and senior leadership cohort, rarely are you accountable for a task. You're accountable for influencing people to deliver on those tasks. You're accountable for getting the best out of those people and for those people to feel like they want to give their best, that they're making a difference. You're accountable for looking external to your current organisation or your market, your industry and pulling in some indicators to say, look, this might actually affect us as well. We might need to have a look at this down the track. What got you to leadership won't necessarily hold you at leadership. This is something you need to continue to develop. The thing is that we do look to our leaders to help us through when we don't know, when we're frightened, when we're unsure. We want our leaders to be the ones who are you know, quite clear. But the humility that comes with leadership is, you know what, I'm, I'm not really, really clear on that this is the right pathway but I am clear that if we stand still that we will not exist or that it's going to be painful for our business so suddenly the the skill set of managing task which got you potentially to the position of leadership is not as prevalent and not as required what this is is about leading people knowing people, having that ability to optimize like the social environment of which you are overseeing. And essentially it's not just getting the best out of people, but because that sort of feels like, you know, you're there just sort of, you know, whipping them to say, come on, keep going, keep going. So people feel like I want to give my best. That's when you get a real difference with leadership. Whereas I do want to go the extra mile. I will put those extra hours in for a period of time. I will notice with my leader, if they look like they're wobbling, if they are doing too many hours, I'll pay attention to my leader. They're the type of things that you want when you say, okay, I I am making a difference. The concept of ambiguity is something that absolutely we need to, we need to get more comfortable with. In actual fact, our our, our taglines is embrace ambiguity. For me, if you do not find a way to get comfortable in ambiguity, there's, a heightened risk of your relevance being diminished and no one wants to feel irrelevant. No one wants to feel irrelevant. So we we need to let people know you can build these skills, you can build this capability you can build your comfort level of uh, your tolerance of ambiguity.
0: I think more and more organisations of all types are going to be looking for for people like you and others to, to help them through that discussion point because I, another gut feel here, but I, I'm basing this off my own work experience. When I first started working to now is that path of least resistance is the easiest way for most people because if you want to get to be very quickly and the path of dealing with ambiguity is on the way to be. We're going to have all sorts of stops in the middle and we need to do some things and have some conversations that sometimes people aren't built to have. And part of what you've just said, and and I, I can't find myself disagreeing with any of it because intuitively it makes sense. But one of the assumptions that I think leaders make, and maybe we all make, is that we all have the capacity to sit down and have the conversations that need to be had. And one huge assumption there is that our leaders are at the point of being at a level of introspection and being able to understand self and others that allows those conversations to happen. And it's the leadership levels within organizations that almost invite people and give permission to engage in these conversations. And if you're in a workspace that doesn't allow that, ambiguity and change is going to still be an ongoing issue so do we have leaders that are fit for future in this space is still a very open question and and nor nor do i think anyone has all of the answers right now ironically if you're working in a space in which you do if you were to say to me i have the definitive answer for what ambiguity is you're saying <laughs> we need to embrace this thing and look at all of its components because offline we talked about potentially the link between this and potentially poor mental health and that that that's a real that's a real concern for someone like me because in in my industry a lot of the people that go out and work are working solo i need to come back potentially to be in a social situation in which they're solo as well and there's no other human contact and uh, human beings for for all our flaws we're a very community based group animal we're not meant to be on our own so a lot more to get through but let me ask as a, as a final topic area for this and trying to draw everything together. Give me something that from your experience dealing with leaders gives you some hope about what you see and maybe give me something that you think is a real potential danger lurking in the background. So so the good and bad around ambiguity as it relates to leadership, if you could.
1: Absolutely. I love that question. I have huge hope, tremendous hope, uh, at great indicators and insights that leaders absolutely get this. They know that the world has changed. They they might want it to kind of go back, but they, they know. They're bright, they're clever, they're capable. They know the world has changed. And they also know that the old way of, you know, directing, telling is not going to, it just doesn't cut it. You know, the working relationship now is much more of a partnership because it, the fact of the matter is that people will say, this is how I'd like to work. Can this organisation fit these needs? Now the organization may or may not, and it may not suit them, but it's a much more equal conversation between employer and employee. It is a gen because it, you know, work takes up a lot of our time, obviously. So people want to make sure that it contributes to their life that adds value. People don't want a situation where they feel like they're, you know, being hammered or just dragging themselves to work and or that you know come Monday it's like oh god no people don't want to operate like that obviously and increasingly our world says you don't have to and so our leaders need to make sure they're aware of that and I think they are I think their increased level of flexibility their desire to attract talent and retain talent the fact that they're so much more comfortable being vulnerable because there's so much research into that to say we don't need you to be stoic we don't need you to be upright and the strongest person every single day we need and want. And actually we insist that you're human because then we can relate to you. And I see a huge shift towards people in that space in leadership. My concern and my fear is a little bit before you asked the question, you were talking about you know, the style of leaders and that, you know, that they can become overwhelmed in this space. You know, traditionally from a change perspective, what we would do is we would work directly with the leaders and we would say, okay, here's your key messages. You go out and talk to your teams and make sure they're all okay. And, you now, we would roll out the leaders all the time, quickly out you go and, and make sure you're present and make sure you're listening and we give them all these tips. They're all still totally relevant. We have to look after our leaders more. They are just like you and I. They just have a different job title. They don't necessarily have all the, they don't have all the energy to keep on doing this as well. They can't keep just rolling out and saying, where's my key messages today, Karen, or what else are we doing? They need to be supported more. You go through change acquisitions, mergers, all the space we work in, nine out of 10 times the highest impact groups are at our leadership level yet we kind of say to them okay not only are you fearful because here comes all the impact for you you will actually have to navigate through this change yourself so for you knowing there's fear and then you have to lead the organization through it and your team as well and you need to behave appropriately and you need to be a great member of your executive team and so we put a lot of pressure I think on leaders to be we ask them to be human but then we have an expectation of them to be superhuman. We need to take care of our leaders. We look to our leaders. We want to lean on our leaders. So they don't have all the answers. They might be at the top of their hierarchical tree but they're there ideally because they can connect, they're clever, they understand how to get the business from A to B, but that doesn't mean they've got all the answers. So I, I think that we need to be a bit kinder to our leaders as well and not expect them to be you know, a walking encyclopedia of or Google of answers because they're not going to be.
0: A magnificent way to end the podcast. Thank you very much for that. Karen, thank you for your time. And for those listening, Karen is the founder and director of Change 2020 and adapting. Now I got I got the, the title of that <laughs> correct. Adaptive mind. Sorry. Look, appreciate your insights here, and this is a conversation I think that's going to be ongoing. So, as a way to get people more involved in this space, is there a way those that are listening can get involved in the research you're doing with QUT? Are there some links you can give me that I can put up on the podcast description for people to engage and/or contact you?
1: Absolutely. So there's actually a free snapshot report. Um, so you can actually do the assessment. If you go to adapticminds.com. on the front page, it is take this snapshot report, uh, take your snapshot assessment. And so it's a, it's only a, as I said, it's a snapshot report. It's not the comprehensive report, but it will give you some data about what your tolerance to ambiguity is in the workplace. Also under the resources list, there's um, our habits. So the research with QT identified not just what your tolerance levels are, but what habits do we need to put in place? What practices and behaviors do we need to put in place to build that tolerance level? And so there are eight habits there as well that you can go and have a look at. And there's some some, um, some tools and techniques that people can bring into their daily practices to build some of those tolerance levels. So there is a uh, the assessment you can do for free. It's clicking on that. Just one thing, it appear, the report appears immediately in your browser. So don't click away. You need to either print it or email it to yourself uh, so you can get that port. And then if you, want to understand a little bit more about how to build your tolerance levels, there's also eight habits there that you can learn a bit about as well. Almost most certainly reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to have a chat to anyone um, about some of our research and, and help them out on their personal endeavors to embrace ambiguity.
0: Make those links available on the podcast description. So for those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you again for supporting the podcast. Take care of yourselves and I'll catch you all on the next podcast.